Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week we will be returning to our series, The Life of Jesus, as our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, delivers a message titled, Two Resurrections. You can follow along with this message in John 5, 16-47, or by using the YouVersion Bible app. You can also find useful message resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Okay, we continue our series, The Life of Jesus. And today's message, I'm calling Two Resurrections. Now, I'm only going to deal with five verses. They come from John 5, verses 24 through 29, and it's in reading 49 of your book on page 59. What, what I'm planning to do when we read each, each uh, series of readings every week, I'm trying to deal with the most difficult passage or the densest packet, pa- uh, passage. Sometimes all of it is very familiar, kind of easy to grasp, but, but when there is something that's confusing or debatable, I'm going to try to spend some time preparing that to speak on Sunday. And that's what I've done today. Take out your message guide and your outline there is on the first two panels. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, according to most scholars, written about 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus. And Job asks one of mankind's oldest and also most important questions. When a man dies, and that's a generic man, man and woman, When a man dies, will he come back to life? You ever ask that question? How many of you have asked yourself that question? What about the rest of you? Some of y'all act like I can't see you out there. (laughs) Have you ever asked yourself the question whether you will come back alive after you die? This bunch over here never thought that way. I want to see some hands. Have you? There you go. There you. Because I think this is one of the questions that haunts us. I know I'll die. Will I be raised again? The Bible answers that question emphatically yes. All people, believers and unbelievers, and that just, those are synonymous terms for Christians and non Christians will one day be raised from the dead. And everyone will live forever consciously, individually, distinctly as persons. You don't meld into the force. You don't become part of the Borg collective. That's Star Trek. The first you know is Star Wars. But you're not going to merge into anybody else after life. You'll still be an individual. What our eternal existence will be like, however, depends on what we do with Jesus while we're alive on this earth. Christians will experience two resurrections. Non-Christians, one. The first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection. 1 John 5, 24. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not 
come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's peculiar, isn't it? This verse emphasizes that when we believe Jesus' message, we come alive. Eternal life begins immediately. Eternal life doesn't start after you pass through into heaven after death, physical death. Eternal life begins at the instant of belief. But it's not fully realized or appreciated in this life. The full reality will only be experienced in heaven. You see, we are born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1, we'll use a lot of cross-references in this passage to, as I said, to unpack this dense passage. Ephesians 2.1 emphasizes the same thing. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. So we're dead because of our own sin. We're dead because of the sin nature we inherited, but we're dead. And what does it mean to be spiritually dead? Well, to be spiritually dead is to be personally and individually unaware and insensitive to the existence and the work of God. It's also to be unable and unwilling to respond to him. See, we, we wonder why, why people can't believe there's God. They can't see God at work. They can't see it. Completely blind to it. Christ came to give eternal life to the spiritual, spiritually dead. And that means a change in the nature and the quality of life. It means attaining a new perspective on the presence of God in your life, but also recognition of God's work in this world. That's what we symbolize in baptism, which is today at four o'clock in South Campus. I urge you that that's life's most important decisions, decision that you trust Christ and become born again. More important than your major or your vocation or even the spouse you choose. And we celebrate that today. I urge you to participate. Four o'clock, South Campus. But look at Romans 6. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we join him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so were we raised from the dead. And now we may also live new lives. When we're raised from the dead, we become alert to God's will. We become attentive to his word. We become mindful of his ways. 
See, a new reality, we live in a new reality that is now marked by love for God, by love for his word, by love for his people. Is that reality true in your life? In other words, have you passed from death to life? Spiritual resurrection is resurrection of the living. Verse 25, I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now Jesus was describing the experience of being physically alive as we all are but spiritually dead. And then hearing Jesus' message which means believing and receiving eternal life. But we're not merely talking about hearing an invitation humanly. See, there are a lot of things we can do humanly. You can walk an aisle, you can be baptized, you can pray a prayer, and nothing happens spiritually. Doesn't mean it wasn't sincere. But whatever we do humanly doesn't cause us to inherit eternal life. You understand? This refers to hearing spiritually so that it changes who you are. It imparts eternal life, spiritual life. John 10, 27 says it this way. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say all sheep, although all sheep will eventually. He says, my sheep, the goats don't hear. I know them, they follow me. Jesus' sheep, the sheep of his flock, hear spiritually. And they respond with repentance and belief. Now, now, how can spiritually dead people hear the voice of God? Hear God's son speaking? How can that happen? You, you have to be enabled to hear it. You know what I'm talking about. You have people, you're, you know, your students and you have others in class, you have people at work, and they're completely oblivious to the things you're, you see and are experiencing spiritually. They can't see it. They're blind. They're deaf. And we have to be enabled to hear by God's spirit. That's what being born again is. 1 Corinthians 2.14. People who aren't spiritual, and this, in the Greek, it could, it could also say people who don't have the spirit or people who have only physical life. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these things from God's spirit. It sounds foolishness to them. And they can't understand it. 
For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So here's the question. Have you heard the voice of God's Son? Have you? I want to see some heads nodding or some hands. I like hands better. So that you have eternal life. You understand it's one and the same. You hear, you've already been enabled to hear. The resurrection of the living results in eternal life. Verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. Anything that's dead cannot generate life. Is that fair? A spiritually dead person cannot generate eternal life for himself. Because only life produces life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit possess life. They they were not created. They were not given life by someone or something outside of themselves. In Exodus chapter 3, God identified himself by a name to Moses. What was that name? I am, but actually it was a little longer than that in Exodus 3. I am who I am. Or I am that I am. That name expresses that God is self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He's independent of all. We are not. God, that I am that I am, could also be translated, I, I have always been, I am today, I will always be. It's the eternal present. So God has life in himself. Jesus, you see, has life. Jesus was the creator. Colossians tells us he was the the person of the Trinity that actually created the world and us. You say, well, I believe in evolution. I I want you to study the odds of just DNA forming perfectly so you could be born and develop. Well, we develop what we need. No, you develop according to a pattern that's been put into you. 23 pairs of chromosomes. Substances have to, have to align perfectly. And where did the substances come from? But all the protons, neutrons, electrons had to align perfectly. Then they had to align perfectly together to create amino acids. You see, the odds are astronomical. They, they don't, it doesn't even make sense. If I tell you to neglect your yard for a year and let's see if it improves. It doesn't make any sense. But you know what? If you're blind, you will not see it and you will absorb foolish explanations. Makes no sense. I'm, I'm talking about just under the laws of physics. 
under the second law of dynamic, thermodynamics. Just look, do a little research. Doesn't take much. But God has life within himself. He alone possesses eternal, everlasting life with no beginning and no end. And when I say God, I mean the Godhead, three persons. But Jesus voluntarily gave up his independent use of his divine attributes, Philippians 2, 6, and 7. But the Father then granted him authority to give life, physical life, he raised some from the dead, and spiritual life even during his self-limited earthly ministry. Look at 1 John 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And the one who has the son has life. Eternal life. And the one who doesn't have the son of God does not have this life. Have you noticed that you can discern somebody that has this spirit? You ought to be able to. People who experience spiritual resurrection receive unending, everlasting life. 1 Peter 1.23 up there. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Who thinks this life doesn't quickly end? I'm pushing 60. I'm not likely to double it which means I'm over half done. And, you know, it hasn't taken me long to get here. And I don't care. You, you guys can buy four or five of those Fitbits and you can put them on every limb you have. And it, you, okay, you'll add 15 minutes to your life. You know, y'all are on all of this. I want to eat clean food. I don't want any clean food. My, I think my wife and Evan are going to do whole 30. Well, I'm going to get a whole 30 hot dogs while they're eating that thing. Because I'm going to tell y'all this. I'm gonna, y'all, y'all don't know this, but you come here to me for advice. You give me all the high fructose corn syrup. You give me all the monosaturated fats. That's how you stay limber. Y'all are, are going to be all starched out. And you know what? You're going to die 60 seconds after I do. And you've been miserable at the dinner table all the time. I mean, look at this shape. How do you improve on this? Stu, you're a doctor. How could I be improved on? But let me get back to the, the other serious matter. But not to a life that will quickly end. This life ends. Your new life will last forever. Not because you're in the greatest of shape. Not because you eat cleanly. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And who is the word of God? Jesus, John 1.1. So here's the question. Have you been made spiritually alive? Have you? Yeah. The second resurrection that everyone experiences will be a physical resurrection. Verse 27. 
and he granted him the right to pass judgment. He, God, granted him, Jesus, the right to pass judgment because he is the son of man. Son of man means fully human. Remember I told you it was Jesus' um, favorite reference to himself. It appears 80 times in the, in the four gospels. Believers and unbelievers will experience a physical resurrection from the grave to face judgment before Jesus. Now, because Jesus is not only the divine son of God, but he's also the fully human son of man, which emphasizes his humanity, but it, but it also in Daniel is a reference to him being the, the eternal world ruler, the son of man. But the father, because he is the son of man, because he's fully human, has given him authority to carry out the final judgment of every human being. And Jesus, you see, is uniquely qualified to be the ultimate judge of all mankind because of his full humanity, because he experienced all of human life, joys and sorrows, successes and failures, pleasures and sufferings, as well as all of this world's temptations and Satan's temptations to sin. He suffered it all, which qualifies him as our judge. Hebrews chapter four says it this way. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tested in every way as we are and yet was without, without sin. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the dead. It describes it in 28 and 29 this way. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Now, these unbelieving Jews who were listening to Jesus were amazed, but they were outraged at Jesus' claim not only to be the giver of spiritual life, but also to be the ultimate judge of all mankind. And instead of rebuking their skeptical unbelief, he goes further. And he says he's going to raise all of the dead out of their graves. Now, the Pharisees believe in the resurrection, remember? So do the scribes. But which group didn't believe in the resurrection? Sadducees. These were mostly Pharisees, see, listening. But look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. At that time, the souls of the righteous, the forgiven dead, which are now in heaven with Christ. Now, scholars debate whether they're in paradise or they're in Abraham's bosom and are those different places. I don't know. Scholars spend time deciding how many angels can stand on the head of a pen. That was a Middle Ages argument, by the way. But, but the point is, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, one of the thieves, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I don't know whether paradise is fully heaven or it's an intermediate stage. Perhaps it is. But it will be with Christ. Luke 23, 43, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. The souls of the unrighteous, unforgiven dead are already in torment in Hades. Luke 16, 22 and 23. 
Both groups will be given resurrected bodies that will endure for eternity. Philippians 3.20. And I know some of you are saying, gosh, this just all sounds weird. It does, because here's what we do. We domesticate faith far too much. And we reduce it to go into church. And it becomes fully this human practice. But the problem is, God's not human. And neither is Christianity. And this is an expression of reality that we need to be aware of. At Jesus' call, the bodies of everyone who ever lived will come back to life. Daniel 12, 2 says it this way. And Daniel was written 600 years before Jesus lived. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. The resurrection of the dead results in final judgment. Verse 29, latter part. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. Now that, that's a little confusing, isn't it? Jesus may have been referring to one resurrection of the dead with two different outcomes, two different results. Or he may have been describing two different resurrections, one for believers, one for unbelievers. Notice he distinguishes between the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment. Also at Luke 14, 14, Revelation 20, four through six. So you read that and you can decide about it. But it seems to say that we're judged by what we do. Is that what it says? I'm waiting on some heads to nod, yes or no. I think y'all act like I can't see you. I can tell when a husband and wife aren't getting along out there. Y'all just don't know it. Does this mean we're judged by our works? Does it say that? That's exactly what it says. But is it what it means? That's a different question. That's a different question. This verse can't mean that people's good deeds in life are the basis on which judgment is pronounced. But it appears to say that. Here's a principle for reading the scripture. We always interpret scripture with scripture. We always examine every verse in light of a theological understanding of all the verses synthesized together. Because if it's all truth, it synthesizes together. We know that Jesus plainly taught that salvation is by grace, not works. It, said that in, it says that in verse 25, this same passage. He starts this way. I assure you an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. Where's the, where's the work there? They receive some, an ability to hear. And look at John 6. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe that you're able to hear in the one he has sent. 
Paul says it this way, probably the, verse, ver, the passage we know best about this principle. Ephesians 2, for you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. This is a gift from God, not by works. So nobody gets to boast. Now, having said that, let me, let me add this. Good works are evidence of salvation. While works do not save, they do provide the basis for divine judgment. As James 2 says, faith without works is dead. The way we use our lives reveals the condition of our souls. Is that true? So right now, if we could emblazon your life on the screen behind me, what does it show? The way you're using your life right now reveals the spiritual state of your soul. Is that, a tr is that true? And the use of our lives will be examined at what Revelation calls the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't preach on this much. I don't like to appear that I'm trying to use threats to move people emotionally because as I've already said, what happens emotionally is of no value. What happens spiritually is what's of value. So, but I don't want us to be ignorant of the future. If we're ignorant of the future, we run the risk of wasting and misusing the present. Because one day, all that will matter will be that. And all the successes and failures and money and possessions and houses and cars and spouses will come down to you at the throne. Are you ready for that? But thankfully, Jesus came not to judge. He said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. So he, he came to give us eternal life, to deliver us from fear of this judgment that is looming. He said it this way. Jesus said, he's talking to Lazarus' sister. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, 
will live. Do you believe? Do you believe? If you believe, I want you to stand with me and we're going to recite this passage from Job as a statement of our faith. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Are you overwhelmed at that thought? But let me tell you, some of us are overwhelmed with joy. Some of us are overwhelmed with dread. But don't stay there. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He come not, came not to judge, but to save. There'll be counselors here at the front to talk with you. If you say, I don't know where I, I'm not ready to face God. There'll be people who will counsel with you, pray with you. There'll be people here that can anoint you with oil if you're ill. You want, want to ask God for healing. And I also want to tell you, Lenny and Lori Miller will be over here to my right. And you feel free to greet them. And, and also, any of you that would like to go with them and help them for a short time or a long time, please, I urge you to uh, consider that as well. Father God, we thank you for this word. God, help us not to ignore those things that frighten us, but help us to embrace what is true in your scripture so that we respond rightfully with repentance and faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So have you passed from death to life? If you have questions about what that means to you, please visit our website, brookwoodchurch.org, for more information. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you experience transformed life. We thank you so much for listening, and have a great week.